What I'd like to uh, talk about is Yaakov Avinu. Uh, Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, um, it's a long story in the Torah, and it's a story that has ups and downs. Uh, Yaakov Avinu is, uh, so that's why we're very sympathetic to Yaakov Avinu, because he reminds us of ourselves, because it's real life. You know, Avram Avinu is perfect. Yitzchak is even more perfect than perfect. Avram Avinu is perfect, but he, he was at least until the age three, according to some, uh, uh, some of Chazal, and according to others, an older age, Avram Avinu was an idolater, or came from an idolatrous family. So he had that little bit of imperfection in him. Yitzchak was totally perfect. He was perfect. He never left Eretz Yisrael. He uh, followed God's directive. He, the only mistake he made was really not a mistake at all, that he wanted to leave Eretz Yisrael when there was a famine. Yitzchak, I'm talking about Yitzchak, there was a famine, and what he wanted to leave Eretz Yisrael. It wasn't like Avram Avinu who you could say, how come? How come Avram Avinu agreed to leave Eretz Yisrael? After all, after all, Avram Avinu received the command from God to go to Eretz Yisrael, to live there. But Yitzchak cannot be faulted because he was just following Avram Avinu. But Yitzchak was doing what his father did. So, so you can't really fault him for wanting to leave Eretz Yisrael. But HaKadosh Baruch stopped him and he didn't leave Eretz Yisrael. So he was, and, and Chazal is called Olat Mima. Olat Mima. What, what does Olat Mima mean? Yitzchak, Yitzchak. What is Olat Mima? Olat, of course, is the fact that there was a Kedat Yitzchak. What is Tmima? What does Tmima mean? Perfect. What does perfect mean? Without a blemish. Without a blemish. A blemish is a physical blemish. A physical blemish. You know that a korban, a korban that um, that has a physical, an animal that is supposed to be sacrificed, but has a physical blemish, like even a a cut in in the eye, in the eyelid, or whatever that's called. You know, it it makes the animal unfit for a korban. So, you remember, the angel came to Avram Avinu and said to him, Al lo me'uma. Al lo me'uma. Don't do anything to Yitzchak. Don't touch him. And he uses that word, me'uma. And Rashi says, remember me'uma? Me'uma sounds like, the, in Hebrew, the word mum. Right? Mum is a blemish. The same as, it's the opposite of t'mima. You can either be a baal mum or t'mima. And, and uh, so Avram Avinu wanted to make a blemish in Yitzchak so that he would be unfit for a korban. And thereby, according to Rashi, he would be able to accommodate the original command that God gave him, which was to sacrifice his son. And the last command that God gave him from the angel, which was, don't sacrifice your son. So that he could not, according to Rashi, it turns out that Avram Avinu had this difficulty with uh, the two commands, with resolving them. How can you follow God 
if there are two different commands in two different directions. So he thought to himself, he thought to himself, if the, I put a mum, a physical blemish, in my son Yitzchak and render him unfit for a sacrifice, so then I can accomplish both. In other words, I came here to sacrifice my son as God told me. But I can't sacrifice him because, after all, in the divine system of things, if your sacrifice has a blemish, you can't sacrifice it. So then I would be able to live with both commands. This is Rashi. This is how Rashi tried to explain it to us. So the angel says to Abraham, Altas lo meuma, do not place a blemish, or do not blemish his physical, uh, his physical self. That's what, uh, that's what, uh, um, uh, that's what the angel, that's what the angel says. So it turns out that Yitzchak was unblemished. He was an olat mima. That's why he's called olat mima. How does that perush fit in with the brit milah? With what? With the brit milah. How does that fit in? I'm not sure what your question is. Well, we know that not everybody who has a Brit Milan no, is going y- to be sacrificed. No, no, but Yitzhak was, if, if, if Yitzhak by that period was, was coming, that, but he had a Brit Milan already. So how does that, the, physically his body wasn't complete then. I didn't say complete, I said, I said uh, uh, a blemish means something that's missing that should be there. Oh, okay. That's something that shouldn't be there when it's right. not there. In fact, right. you know, if, uh, if uh, uh, it could be that an orla would puzzle you for being a korban. Mm. The way Chazal understood Brit Mila, it was somehow finishing something. Mm. It was the way it was supposed to be, but it was left in order that we would be able to have the opportunity of finishing. Uh, so, it, in, in any event, so Abraham was Abraham, and Yitzchak was Yitzchak, but Yaakov, Yaakov is, is very human in the sense that things happen to him, and not always things that he wants, and not always things that he plans on, and things that seem to dissuade him or to, to deflect him from fulfilling the obligations that he inherited from Avram Avinu. For example, leaving Eretz Yisrael. If you leave Eretz Israel because of a famine, so, so argue, arguably, you could say God drove you out of Eretz Israel. I mean, the famine has nothing to do with me. I didn't create the famine. I'm just trying to live, which could be easily understood as being part of what God wants of me. But... Yaakov Avinu left Eretz Yisrael because he couldn't get along with his brother. Now that's a very human thing. Like, you know, in, everybody knows, everybody has a brother that they can't get along with, if you have a brother. Everybody, I mean, it's not, not so uncommon. That's what I mean. I mean, you know, you have to just show up, uh, or you go to those movies where they read the will, you know, and that's always the beginning of the end of all the relationships in the family, you know. So, uh, uh, Yaakov, Yaakov caused it himself. He did it to himself, so to speak. He, wasn't a, he had a lot of time to make peace with Esau, but he couldn't. He couldn't make peace with Esau, so he was driven out 
of, uh, of Eretz Yisrael, but not by divine fiat. I mean, I know everything comes from God. I know that. But we'll talk as though, like people talk. It, it, it was Yaakov had the obligation at that time to straighten things out. After all, Yaakov was the, the Talmud Chacham. He understood the value of Shalom. He knew what it was, how it was supposed to be. How was supposed to be but he, and he lost out. Now, Avram Avinu had a similar experience with Lot. Avram had a similar experience with Lot, but uh, they divided up. Either you go here, I go there, we have plenty of room. Right? They didn't have to leave Eretz Yisrael as a result of the fact that Lot did not, that the, that the shepherds of Lot did not get along with the shepherds of Avraham. That was, uh, so, so Yaakov introduces us even though Yaakov had the inherited from Avram and Yitzchak, and he and he was special, of course, and he had uh, he created a family which Avram and Yitzchak were not able to do. Right? Only Yaakov was able to create a family, not a family in which everybody loved everybody else, but they had a sense of family which was necessary in order to create Am Yisrael which is also one of the names that Yaakov Avinu received. But since everything was uh, in flux in the days of Yaakov, you'll see in the Chumash, sometimes he's called Yaakov and sometimes he's called Yisrael. So he's called Yisrael, meaning the family. He's the head of the family, right? And then, then at the end of his life, what became the important question was who would inherit the mantle? That was the important, okay, there's a family, you have 12 sons, you have a daughter, maybe you have more daughters, depending on, you know, Chazal uh, position. Uh, what about leadership? Who's going to become the leader? So you know that the obvious choice, the obvious choice was Reuven, because he was the oldest, he was the oldest son, but Reuven somehow lost out. He lost out. You remember when Yosef came to, this is the, the parish of Ayesh, a couple of parashiyot that, uh, though, right? Yosef came to, uh, to look for his brothers. We have no idea why he went to, I mean, the only explanation, I mean, why did Yaakov send Yosef to look for his brothers who were shepherding someplace near Shechem? Who knows? Who knows why, why, why they did that? Uh, it was Yaakov was forcing a situation. Yaakov. Did Yaakov know that he was forced in a situation? It could be. Could be that he knew. And could be that he didn't know. But, he, but Yosef, Yosef then was put into mortal danger in the parasha of Ayeshev. And uh, the brothers decided to kill him. The brothers decided to kill him. Reuven Reuven saved him, exercised leadership, and said, let's throw him into, into the pit, right? Let's throw him into the pit. But the way we understand what Reuven said was not we shouldn't kill him, but we shouldn't kill him physically. We don't want anybody to actually kill him. We want him to be killed. And so they threw him into a pit. And even if without the drush of Chazal, which is Maim Einbo, 
right? Our Nechashim Akrabim, Yeshbol, the Drashav, but even if there weren't any Nechashim and Akrabim in the pit, I mean, you can't live in a pit. I mean, that, that's the death. If he couldn't climb out of that pit on his own, that's the death sentence right, right there. So that's Ruvain. Ruvain leaves. He disappears. In this, in this story, where did he disappear to? Loyodeh. And then he reappears. And he says, where's, where's Yosef? Well, what happened in the interim? What happened in the interim? Yehuda, Yehuda took charge. And what did Yehuda say? Yehuda, I mean... Better deal to sell. Like, what are we going to profit from leaving him in a pit? Let's sell him. So you could argue or you could try to understand whether Yehuda was leadership or Yehuda was just like a, another, acting like another criminal. But there is no doubt about one thing. You know, if you read, when you read the story, there's one thing that is certain, and that is that Yehuda was very much in line with God's will. It was God's will was, apparently, that Yosef should get to Mitzrayim and then be able to save the world from famine. That was God's will. Well, let's agree. Let's agree that was God's will. So if that was God's will, then Yehuda, in a kind of odd way, Yehuda is, uh, is fulfilling God's demand. Like the others, the other uh, brothers were full of hate for Yosef because Yosef declared himself king, right? He said, I was there and everybody came, bowed down to me, bowed down to me, and therefore the brothers hated him. Because he said, I am going to be in charge. I'm going to be in charge. It was Yosef was the oldest, older son of the beloved wife, right, Rachel. Whereas Reuven was the oldest son of the less beloved wife. And Yehuda, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. What was special about Yehuda? Yehuda from Hodor, right? That's what Rashi says. Yehuda, Hodor. It's like a Hanukkah. You may Hallel the Hodor. Hodor, Rav Nachman of Ratzov says, is Olam Haba. That's that's God aided to be able to be to be Modeh. It's an interesting. I think it's an interesting idea. It was to be truly thankful for somebody, something that God has done. Is, is an act of closeness. It's the only kind of closeness that we can exhibit to God, like Hodor. And that's why, that's why the, the Medrash says that for the end of days, all the Korbanot will, be, will disappear. And the only Korban that will be left will be the Korban Todah, right? the Thanksgiving Korban. And if you, if you were a Kabbalist, you would know that that korbanot bring you close to God. Whatever reason, right? The Ramban explains that. It says in the, in the Chumash many times, Vayarach Hashem Reach Nichoach, that God uh, uh, smelled the wondrous smell of the korban. That the korban was not just a way of fulfilling an obligation, right? Like other mitzvot. 
The other mitzvot, it doesn't say Vayarech, Hashem Rech, Nichoach. The other mitzvot are not seen as that. But Korbanot, the Ramban says, at the beginning of Vayikra, that these Korbanot are special in that they, they provide me with a connection to God, a special connection to God. That's what a Korban is. Now, all the mitzvot provide me with a, with a connection, but the Korban with a super connection. So the Chazal said, in the future, all the Korbanot will disappear, and only the super Korban will be left. And the super korban is called the korban toda, a thanksgiving korban, because thanksgiving is the most uh, uh, connected, it's the most obvious connection to God that we have in all of the mitzvot. So we can do without all of the mitzvot if we're able to give thanks. Giving thanks means that you have an awareness of what's going on, right? Because because you don't see it, they're told we're trained. We know there's no difference between Yitzhak Mitzrayim and Purim, right? <laughs> Everything I'm saying is like, uh, is, is part of my delusion. There's no difference between Yitzhak Mitzrayim and Purim. What is Yitzhak Mitzrayim? Neis Galui. And what is Purim? A Neis Nistar. What is a Neis Nistar? It was exactly the same as a Neis Galui. All that it's a Neis Nistar and a Neis Galui, they both say the same thing. They say God is running the show. Right? So what's the difference if it's Nistar or Galui? It's, it's, it's for us, it's an educational thing. Right? So therefore, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is about the way you see the world. The way you see what is going on. So if you see all the time that God is in charge, so then you give thanksgiving because God is in charge. It's like, you know, if somebody gives you a cup of coffee when you really, like, need one, you say thanks, right? That's, that's an act of closeness, the giving of the coffee and the giving and the returning the thanks. That's, that's called closeness. And so that's what a korban toda is. That's what the Korban Toda. So Yehuda, Yehuda, right? Ruvain disappeared at the wrong moment. Yehuda was Hoda. There was something about Yehuda that was very close, very, very close from the time he was born. Something special. He was connected to the Korban Toda, Hodaya, Thanksgiving, closeness. That's, that's Yehuda. However, when we first met Yehuda, he said, Mabetza, he said, what do we do to profit from throwing, uh, uh, throwing Yosef in a pit? Let's sell him. So we don't see Yehuda as being part particularly, particularly special in that regard. So you have to say that you have to say that Yehuda was tricking his brothers into doing something that was divinely ordained. And that was that Yosef would get to Mitzrayim. It was necessary that Yosef get to Mitzrayim. In order to do that, it was therefore necessary to sell him to the... I mean, after all, the brothers are not going to take him to Mitzrayim. They're not going to follow. It was they... they the brothers thought... What did they say? Right? you remember that? What does that mean? They said... What they said was that the dream is not definitive. It doesn't necessarily have to happen. We could kill him. And if we kill him, then it won't happen. It won't happen that that, that prophecy about him being the king 
will, will certainly not come true because he's going to be dead. So Yehuda, Yehuda faced with this kind of position of the, uh, of the brothers, said, look, we could accomplish both. He knew that there was no other way. He couldn't come and say, but the dream, you know, has got to come true. I mean, they already rejected, they had already rejected the dream. So Yehuda said, okay, we'll do what you want and we'll even make money from it. So it could be that Yehuda was exercising a certain type of leadership, which might not look so good, but is based on his profound uh, uh, position as the person of Hodoya, right? Hodoya, you remember his mother said, his mother said there are four wives and they're going to be 12 sons. And therefore each wife should have three children. So the fourth child that she had, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, she had a fourth child. So she said, oh, this is a child that I give thanks, thanks to God for because it's not in the plan. It's beyond, it's beyond the plan. So Yehuda, Right, Yehuda becomes, he becomes uh, the leader. He becomes the one. And, uh, and so, of course, the question, the subsequent, and, and Yaakov basically disappears. I mean, his opinions and his statements, his direction of things basically disappear until he decides to tell his Yosef and his Yosef's brothers that they have to bury him in, in Eretz Yisrael, in Canaan, immediately. Right? As soon as he dies, they have to take him, uh, shortly thereafter, they have to take him to Eretz Yisrael and bury him in the Marat HaMatmelah. Right? That, that, until then, from now on, from the beginning of Ayichi, until the death of Yaakov, we don't know anything about Yaakov. You know, nothing really. Yaakov is, becomes a, uh, uh, an effect. The history is, is then uh, switched from Yaakov. He's not, Yaakov no longer determines history, and the determiner of history becomes Yosef. Yosef, Yosef confronts Yehuda. Yosef, that, you know, in the, in the middle of his of his uh, authority, Yosef is going to confront Yehuda, and Yehuda is going to be vindicated. Yehuda will also confront Yaakov, as we will see. So let's look at the first psukim in our parasha. Vahi Yaakov be'eretz Mitzrayim shva'asrei shana. Vahi yemei Yaakov shnei chayev sheva shanim v'abim amat shana. So Yaakov lived in, in Egypt 17 years. Pasuk haftet. Right, I guess you see, you see on the pasuk, That's a statement about Yaakov. Yaakov was the son of Yitzchak, but Yaakov was not the father of Bnei Yisrael. So there's a still a Yaakov in the story in Mitzrayim. He, he did nothing during those 17 years. He had no, nothing happened to him. He didn't do anything to anybody. He was just Yaakov. But the next pasuk, but Yisrael, whoever it was, he's dying. He realizes that he's Yisrael, meaning he has to attend to the family. As the tender family, then he does this odd thing where he cried, "If no, you're safe." He opened him, "No, it's not him." And then he said, "No, you're not the right guy." But see, they were doing chesed ve'emet. I'll not think we're any of them. It's right. In 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 other words, 
Obviously, Yaakov was afraid. Yaakov understood that the sojourn in Mitzrayim had only begun. And he was afraid that it would not work out properly. That the Jews enslaved in Mitzrayim might decide, as they thought later on in the desert, that Mitzrayim was the best deal that they could imagine, even if they were enslaved. And they would not follow the destiny that was determined in heaven and go back to and go back to Eretz Canaan or leave Egypt. And therefore, Yaakov insisted that he should be buried in Eretz Canaan by these brothers, even though he could have said, as Moshe, as Yosef said, "Take me with you when you go to Eretz Canaan." But that wasn't good enough. That was a Yaakov understood that in his family, which is a family that was full of dissent and argument and lack of clarity, that he better do something to ensure that the return to Eretz Yisrael would in fact take place. Even though, as you will see, the Ramban thinks, the Ramban thinks that, that, that uh, uh, Yaakov's whole life is about determining the relationship between the diaspora and Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov lived in the diaspora and then went to Eretz Yisrael. The same thing is true. The same thing is true in Egypt. He was, that was the diaspora in Padan Aram, where he lived with Lavan. And then he came back to Eretz Canaan. The same thing, Yaakov lived in Mitzrayim for 17 years, and then he came back to, he came back to, uh, to Eretz Yisrael. Okay. Uh, let's look at the, at the Ramban. You see the Ramban? No, this is what the Pasuk means. He says, he says, this is the literal meaning. Yaakov, who saw that he was going to die, he felt he was dying, so he called, he called his son. Vinyano. Right? And you know means so. So what do we learn from this? So what does it mean to us? Or, or what sort of what sort of inferences might we make? He felt he was old. He felt he was old. He was weak. He wasn't uh, wasn't functioning properly. He knew, even though he wasn't sick that he was just slowed down. Is that like a, a medical term? Slow down. And, uh, and he, he, aval yada, ki lo yarich yamim, v'lachein kara livno li Yosef. V'achrei shuv Yosef l'mitzrayim, chala, v'ogad li Yosef. He says, v'achrei shuv Yosef l'mitzrayim. When Yosef went back to Mitzrayim, what does that mean? He went to Goshen. That's where Yaakov lived, in Eretz Goshen, it's called. I guess an independent province uh, that was uh, connected to Egypt, but independent. He says, Then Yaakov got sick, and Yosef was told, So he came, and this is a separate problem, as I said before. Like, why did he come with his two sons? Why did he come to get a to get this give a bracha to the two sons? Uh, 
because it turns out that who were the recipients of the brachot? All the sons of Yaakov and two sons of Yosef. Yosef received the bracha, and the two sons of Yosef, Ephraim and Menashe, they also received, received a, a bracha. So, uh, I mean, you could, you could say something. You know, you could say something about why Yosef brought his two sons. Who gets Pishnayim? The Bechor. So Yosef was the Bechor. Yosef was the Bechor. And, uh, and so Yosef demanded the right of the Bechorah. That's why he came. That's why he was first. And he was already the king. He was the king. After all, the, dr the dream came true, didn't it? That, that, uh, that he saw the sun and the moon and the stars were all bowing down. Right? That was the dream. And when they, all, when they came to Yosef in Mitzrayim, they all bowed down to him. He was the king. So, so the, the dream came true. So the dream came true. So he was the Bechor and he was the king. He was the king and the Bechor. So Yaakov said, we're going to cross you. We're going to give you the, the rights of the Bechor, Pishnayim. The way he, get, he gave Pinish Pishnayim was Ephraim and Menashe. Uh, it's not clear why this is called Pishnayim. It's not, what exactly did they get that was Pishnayim? Because according to the Gemara, the Gemara at the end of Baba Basra, the Gemara at the end of Baba Basra says, the, those Jews, those families that left Mitzrayim, received a nachala in Eretz Yisrael. But each family <coughs> received a nachala in accordance with the number of people in the, in the, in the family. More people, more, more territory. Fewer people, less territory. It didn't matter what tribe you belonged to. So if you called all the families Yosef, or you called the families Ephraim and Menashe, the sum total, the sum total of the property that they would have gotten would have been the same. Should I do that again? It, it, Yes, it was the, the, the land in Eretz Yisrael was divided up amongst families. The families who left Mitzrayim all received a nachala. Each family received a nachala of the same size. Each family, according to the people who left Mitzrayim. Which means that if, if, uh, if Yaakov had not divided Yosef into Ephraim and Menashe, they would have received the same amount of territory. Wouldn't have made any difference. So that it's not clear what the profit that Yosef received was by having his sons get blessed by Yaakov. Right? It's not so clear. The Rabban himself, in answering the question, says that each of them had a degel. Politics. What? Politics. Politics, maybe. Each had a dagger. In other words, there now was, instead of the shaven of Yosef, there were now two shvatim. Even though the actual, the, 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 the property that they accrued was exactly the same. There was no difference. But they, there were two groups now. There was the group of Ephraim, the group of Menashe, the two groups. I, 
So, so that's what that's what it says. He says, "Valefanav." The Ramban says, "Valefanav im shnei banav kedeshi yivarchem v'chem vayikavu yivay David lamut v'sham neemar anochi olech b'derek kol haaretz kiyada benavsho kain." Whereas, even if uh, if you're not sick or you're not dying of a particular malady that has not yet been determined by uh, medical science, uh, you can nevertheless feel that you are dying. And that's, uh, that's what the Ramban, that's Ramban. Ramban was a doctor, by the way. I mean, he was not as illustrious a doctor, I think, as uh, the Ramban was, but he was definitely a doctor. I don't know how you became a doctor in those days. Okay, now look at the at the Perik Mem Gimel. See Perik Mem Gimel. Araav kaveid ba'aretz. It was a very severe famine. Vayikasher kilu lecholet Hashem v'Hashemim emitzrayim. Vayom alehem avihem shuvu shivru lanu maat ochel. So the the story. This is the middle of the story, right? They came back from Mitzrayim. They had a lot of food and stuff with them, and they're running out. So Yaakov says to his sons, why did you just go back and get us some more food? Right? So here is where Yehuda takes the lead. Here is Yehuda. He told us. Ha'ed means he, uh, he witnessed. He was a witness. Because it was very serious. Uh, don't ever come back unless you bring your little brother with you. So Yehuda tells tells Yaakov the sad uh, the sad thing. He says, "Look, if you if you let Binyamin go with us, we'll go." If you don't let him go, what's the point? He told us that he's not going to give us anything uh, to eat. So Yisrael, Yisrael, the father of the family, right? The father of the family responds, even though. Uh, Okay, Vayomi Yisrael, Lama Hare Otemli, Lagid Laisha Odlachem Ach. So Yaakov doesn't understand. Let's say he understood that he was in, in the flow of, uh, of God's will. And that God's will included that Yosef would be in Mitzrayim, that Yosef would become king, that they would eventually have to go to Mitzrayim. But this he didn't understand. This Yaakov didn't understand. So why did you tell him? Why did you tell him that you had a little brother? What has that got to do with what we're going through? Now, I think Yaakov understood a lot more than his sons. But that's what he says. Lama Riotim Li. Why did you make this so problematic for me, so difficult, so unhappy? Lagid in other words, they answer to him. They answer their father. And their answer is, we couldn't avoid it. 
Or another way of saying it, another way of saying it, that became part of the divine will. I mean, he asked the question in a way that there was no other answer that we could give. He seemed to know what he was looking for. The brothers say to, to, to Yaakov, they say, uh, uh, that's Pasuk Zion. So Yehuda says, send him with me. I'm responsible. I'm responsible and we will live. I'll come back, we'll have food, I will live. You we and you and our children. Anochi ervenu miyaditi vekshenu. I mean, this is totally a ridiculous statement that, that Yehuda is making. He says, I'm responsible. How is he responsible? What's he going to be responsible for? You saw him, that we know now that he wasn't able to maintain that responsibility, right? That, that he, he, he just wasn't able to do it. But he says, Anochi ervenu miyaditi vekshenu. That's what I can pay. I can pay guilt. I can pay with guilt. This is like a, a very Jewish position. You know, I can't guarantee, but I'll be guilty as, as all get out if I don't succeed. Guilt. Guilt. That's nasty. He says. He says, Yehuda says to his father, if we weren't wasting time, I would have gone and come back already. The whole thing was, but what are we sitting in? We have no choice. This is, this is like a discussion, discussion about, about the divine providence. You know, like, where are we stuck in the divine providence? Does it include Binyamin or doesn't it include Binyamin? For Yehuda, it's perfectly clear. It's perfectly clear that this, everything that is happening has to happen. And he says, let's do it as quickly as possible, not only because we need the food, but because you can't look divine providence in the face and say, no, I'm not going to do that. So Yehuda, again... Yehuda understood something that Yaakov did not understand. Even though Yaakov certainly knew the generalities of it. After all, Avraham Avinu knew the generalities of it. That the children and grandchildren, the progeny would go to Mitzrayim or be enslaved there for 400 years. But Yaakov didn't know if that was actually happening right away. And it was Yaakov as Yaakov. Yaakov is Yaakov, not as Israel, but Yaakov is Yaakov, didn't want to leave Eretz Israel. He wanted to stay. He says, why couldn't it start, start after I die? Why did it have to start now? Yehuda understood that it had to start now. And Yehuda also understood that the only way that Yosef would get Yaakov to come to Mitzrayim would be if Binyamin was also in Mitzrayim. That's what, that's what Yosef understood. And Yosef kept saying, okay, I, mean, I suppose he had a special feeling for Binyamin, who was his brother. 
is like his, uh, his real brother, not a half brother, but a real brother. And, and so he wanted him, he wanted him there, but he also understood very well that in order to get Yaakov to come to Mitzrayim, so there was this dispute between Yaakov and Yisrael. It was a dispute between Yaakov and Yisrael. Yaakov means, I'm Yaakov. I'm the son of Yitzchak, the son of Abraham. I can stay in Eretz Canaan. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. Everything is fine. But Yisrael, Yisrael was, was the, the one who created B'nai Yisrael. Without Yaakov, we didn't have anything. That The glue that held it all together at that time was Yaakov, the one who received the Torah, the one who had studied Torah in the yeshiva of Sheva Eber, the one who had suffered the life in the diaspora and come out of it, and come out of it uh, well. I mean, that was Yaakov. They needed Yaakov. And Yosef knew, Yosef knew that Yaakov would never come. And that's the discussion here between Yehuda and, and Yaakov. And Yaakov said, why this, why that, why that? He didn't see it. He didn't see that it was providence, divine providence, that was forcing him, Yaakov, to go to Eretz Israel, even though, to Eretz Mitzrayim, even though he, Yaakov, thought that he should be able to live out his life. And that's the pshat in the Rashi in the beginning of Ayeshev. The Rashi in the beginning of Ayeshev, Pesach Aleph, the long Rashi at the bottom. The bottom, the Rashi says, Bikesh, Bikesh the Shevet Bishalva. What does Bikesh the Shevet Bishalva mean? He, that was it. He, he thought his job had ended. He was the one who went to the Galut. He was the one who came back from the Galut. He was the one, according to the Ramban, as the Ramban says here, as the one who created, created the Jewish position on diaspora against those people who disagreed. The Jewish position on diaspora was that you're going to get out of it. Eventually, you'll come back to Eretz Israel. That was the Jewish position. And while there were always Jews in different generations who disagreed, and thought that uh, the diaspora was also a good place to, to be, and you didn't have to, didn't have to. But but Yaakov created the idea that you come back to, that you come back to Eretz Israel. So for Yaakov, coming back to Eretz Israel once in a lifetime was enough. It was enough after a twenty-year, a twenty-two-year uh, uh, vacant vacancy. And Yaakov came back to Eretz Israel. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want to leave, and here he was being forced against his will to, to leave. That's because Yaakov was not willing to recognize the fact that as Israel, he was absolutely necessary for this, the continuation of the Jewish family, which is what was going to leave uh, Mitzrayim. And then in the Torah, the continuation, all the stories of the Torah, they're called B'nai Yisrael. Right, Yaakov, as the father of the family, the name of the father of the family, disappears. So here we are. Another. How did, how did Yehuda have this insight? What? How did Yehuda have this insight? Because he was Hoda'a, Hoda'ya. That's what his nature was. His nature was to give thanks to God. So he, was, he had a closeness to God that the other brothers didn't have. And in fact, and, and it's not that Yaakov didn't have it exactly, but Yaakov, Yaakov became unclear about when he was Yaakov and when he's Israel, which is, I think, uh, you know, a reasonable thing. Just another one or two psukim. 
Pasuk Yud Aleph. Vayomel em Yisrael Avihem. You see? Yisrael Avihem. Yisrael Avihem. Im kein eifo zot asu kechumiz in rata aret bechleihem vechoridu l'ish mincha ma'at tzorim ma'at tabash nechot velot batanim u'shkeidim. So take all the good stuff that you have in Eretz Yisrael and God of Mitzrayim and you give it to him. Of course, today, if you want to buy any of these things, you have to get them from outside of Eretz Yisrael. Right? Uh, yeah. I always bring Shkedim to America. Like Shkedim and grow in Israel? Yeah, in the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like, you know, Tu B'Shvat. Tu B'Shvat's the next Jewish holiday, right? Right. Right? Tu Two bishvat in America, we used to eat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. What did you eat? What did you eat? Charuvim. Boxer. 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 Yeah. So, what is what is boxer? I mean, what is it? what is it? it's dried fruit, right? Why did we eat dried fruit? Because there was no fruit. There was no real fruit. Because Tu B'Shvat is the time when you switch from last year to next year in terms of Trumas and Maestros. And the reason that's a good time to do that is because there's no fruit on the trees, except for those fruits that are on the tree all the time. But most of the fruits have a season, right? So on Tu B'Shvat, which is a celebration of the fruit somehow, for some reason, well, it's Kabbalistic, but it, it, it became a celebration of the fruits. There, wasn't, there were no fruits, so we had to get dried fruit from Turkey. So in Eretz Yisrael, in Eretz Yisrael when they celebrated Tu B'Shvat, they celebrated with Turkish dried fruit, like boxer and figs, and uh, they all came with these packages made in Turkey. Right? Today, today they make it in Israel. But in those days it was kind of so... Uh, so it's interesting that in order to celebrate the Jewish holiday of fruits, you had to import the fruit from, from Turkey, which... Uh, well, see, that didn't work out so well. Okay, so he says, it says, the Kesed Mishneh Tikhubi Yetchem, take a lot of money, twice as much as you need. And so take back the extra money that you found when you came back and you saw the money was there. Maybe it was just a mistake. Ron, do we know how much time went between the first visit to Mitzrayim and the second time? How much time was there? How much time had gone by? As long as it was necessary they had to eat the food. Right, but we don't know how long that was. Well, I, somebody might know, but I'm not one of them at this instant. Okay. Why do you ask these questions? Uh, well, because it's interesting. Not relevant, but saying. difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I want to answer that. Uh, you, get, you get that from counting the sheep. <laughs> I mean, they say there's 65 million sheep in New Zealand. Does that mean... No, it's uh, 40. 40. 40 million? Yeah. Does it mean there's somebody who counts them? Before they go to sleep. I mean, is that a job <laughs> or something? Before they go to sleep. <laughs> I can never understand that. <laughs> Each farmer knows how much he has. So the one? Each farmer knows how much he has. Oh. has no, it's, a tax, oh. it's a tax problem. It's a tax problem. You're taking the edge off of my joke, right? <laughs> no joke. Okay. So like, now look what it says. Kumashu Laish, El Shaday Tenachem Rachamim Lufnea Ish, Shilach Lachem Etachem, Acher, 
ואת בנימין, ואני קשה שאכולתי כשאכולתי. יעקב, הוא כמו חושב. הוא חושב. הוא אומר, אוקיי, אתם כולם תלכו, ואז תחזור. ואז תחזור. ותחזור. 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 bring him back, and your brother Binyamin that he wants so much to see, bring him back. So you see that Yaakov, that Yaakov is not with it here. He doesn't get it. When he gave the Ketonet Pasim to Yosef, he did get it. He understood. He understood. He gave him royal raiments. He gave to Yosef. He understood that Yosef dream, Yosef's dreams were true. were really an indication of what was going to be. But here, Yaakov is totally unaware. Unaware that he, Yaakov, is being forced to go to Mitzrayim. Again, he was aware, certainly, of the fact that God told Avram Avinu that they will all go down and be slaves in Mitzrayim for 400 years. Yes, he knew that, but he didn't know about himself. He's B'Kesh L'Shevet B'Shalva. He thought it was over, that he was in retirement mode. You know, he was on the back porch, <coughs> drinking the mint julep and, 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 and rocking away. And he said, not me, not me. And Yehuda understood that he would have to go, that he, that he Yaakov, would have to go. And that's why Yaakov felt always that he was also in the wrong place. And that's why he ordered his sons to bury him immediately in Eretz. את ארץ קנען. לס פסוק, ויקחו אנשים את המנחה הזאת, ומשני כסף לקחו בידיו את בנימין, ויקומו וירדו מצרים ויעמדו לפני יוסף. So the only ones who have a name, Yehuda and Binyamin. Right? Yehuda and Binyamin. Binyamin is like, is like Yosef. Yosef went, went to Mitzrayim, but he could not bring his family without Binyamin. Binyamin plays a role. Without Binyamin, he, it would not have worked. The whole thing would not have worked. So let's look at, at the Ramban. Let's look at the Ramban. We don't have much time. We don't have much time. This was a sheer of discourse. V'shalach l'chem et ha'chichem acher v'et Binyamin. Nere'el derech ha'pshat. You see it? The second page. כי לא היה שמעון רצוי אבי בעבוד דבר שכם. לאזן מנשן שכם. שמעון. שמעון ועוד שמעון ולוי אחים. So he didn't like שמעון. He said it בפירוש that he didn't like שמעון. That tells a family. Like, you know, it's like always a problem. You have a lot of children. So some child decides you don't like me as much as you like the other. You know, there's always... Not always. I'm like extrapolating unnecessarily. Nirel derech hapshat ki lo ya Shimon ratzui aviv ba'avud vashchem ulekach lo amar et Shimon b'niret binyamin ki lo yizkerenu b'shmo v'kasher azvu b'tzrayim yabim rabim ilo ya b'veito lechem lo shalach adayin et binyamin v'yenichayim b'tzrayim. Okay. So now he goes on and says, Rashi Katav, Ruach HaKodesh Nitznitzabo Lerabot Et Yosef. Lerabot Et Yosef. Ruach HaKodesh Nitznitzabo, which means that several times in the stories of Yaakov and Yosef until the end of the Chumash, Rashi makes this comment. 
Ruach HaKodesh Nitznesabo, which means he prophesied, but he did not know what he was prophesying. And what was the prophecy? What was the prophecy? That Lirabot et Yosef, that includes that he said, and he included in this story Yosef. So, so the Ramban says, you see, Yaakov is in the story. He's, he's like an active participant. He's prophesying. What is his prophecy? He says, Achichem means Yosef. Acher means Shimon and Binyamin. That's Binyamin. So he, he, he's mentioning, he's mentioning all the, the existence of Yosef in Mitzrayim, who is calling them somehow to, uh, to all come together. And, and that was the Ruach HaKodesh Nitznitzah Bo. That's Rashi. And then the Rabban says, Nachonu kinatan da'ato be'it ha'tfilah litpalel stam gam ala acher ulayu denuchai. And the Rabban gives it a kind of a more a simple twist or straightforward twist. He says that's what the Yaakov, Yaakov knew that he had not yet received any real proof that Yosef had died. It's true that he received the ketonet pasim that was filled with blood, but that didn't mean that he knew in a halachic manner that he knew that, that Yosef had died. So he also, he also davens for Yosef. With a, uh, uh, right? There's another interpretation. Amru Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi patar kraya begaluyot. Patar kraya. He explains the pasuk as relating to Galuyot, Galuyot exiles. Ve'el Shaddai ha'ish. God will give mercy, will provide you with mercy when you stand before that man. Hashem ish That sometimes God is uh, uh, is called ish. So the pasuk means ve'el Rachamim, Lifnei Hashem. That El Shaddai will get El Shaddai's power. And so he explains, Hashem Ish Milchama. That Ish is also a synonym for Hashem. Uchtiv, Vayitein Otam Lerachamim, Vishalach Lechem Et Achichem, Elu Hashvatim, Acher, Ve'et Binyamin. Ze Yehuda U'Binyamin. Va'ani, Ka'asher Shechalti, Shechalti, Bechurban Rishon Shechalti, Bechurban Sheni, Lo Eshkol Od, Zel Shonam Zal. So you see that the Chachamim looked, if you look at the Pasuk, you look at the Pasuk, <coughs> the Pasuk is, Pasuk Yudalit, I'm sorry, Pasuk Yudalit, El Shaddai Tenachan Rachamim, Lefnei Ha'ish. So the simple interpretation is God will give you mercy 
Bifnei Ha'ish is Yosef, right in Mitzrayim. But he says, no, there's another way of reading it. El Rachamim. You'll receive mercy standing before God. Standing before God, in other words, Yaakov is, is saying, according to this interpretation, I know what's going on exactly. Even though I don't want to go, I myself don't think I have to go, but I know what's going on. And therefore, God should be merciful. who's in jail, Rashi at the bottom, Kasher Shachalti mi Yosef mi Shimon, Shachalti mi Binyamin. I have I have uh, had a lot of uh, opportunity to practice bereavement, and if I practice, if this happens, so it happens. So of course it's hard to understand. How do you explain the Rashi? How did Yaakov do that? Why did Yaakov do that? Well, because he knew that it would be all right. And when he said, he was talking to the sons, the other brothers who caused him to mourn for Yosef for 22 years. So he says it, they say, just like I know that Yosef is alive, I know that they will also be alive, Shimon and Binyamin. So it's okay. I agree that you should go. I just don't agree that I should go. If you look back at the Ramban, the Ramban, the Ramban. Ani kasher shechalti bechorban mishon shechalti bechorban sheni lo eshkol od. So that's the the Ramban zelishadam zal akavana. You see the Ramban's theory. Akavana ki yiridadi akol the mitzrayim yir mosli galuteinu biyad edom. Kemoshafaresh, and there's another Ramban that discusses this at slightly greater length at the beginning of Ayechi, which is not on the sheet, but you can look it up. So we know that Avram Avinu, right? Remember Avram Avinu? So when Avram Avinu came, when Avram Avinu came to Eretz Israel, he went to Shechem. Right, he went to Shechem, that was his first stop. Why did he go to Shechem? To Davin. What was he davening about? He was davening about Dina and Shechem and Chamor. That's what he was davening about. Yes? So here's Yaakov. He's doing the same thing. He's davening. Okay. So we saw, we saw that there are tensions, that Yaakov is an interesting personality. And that, uh, I think... I think that uh, a lot of the stories of a Yaakov can be understood if we say that Yaakov did not want to be exiled again. But according to the Ramban, the two exiles that Yaakov himself suffered, the first one in Padan Aram when he went to Bovel, and the second exile that Yaakov Avinu uh, uh, suffered, the one that took him to um, the one that took him to Egypt, those two exiles. Those two exiles were for the benefit of Am Yisrael. They get out of it. The Galut Bavel ended, and Galut Romi has not yet ended, according to the Ramban. That was a thousand years ago. But, but for us, it also hasn't really, uh, uh, the diaspora has not disappeared in favor of, of Eretz Yisrael, as I, I can't say anything bad about the diaspora, though. No. But. Uh, uh, 
Rabbi Robinson, this is next week? We're ready at next week? Can't believe it. I can't keep track of anything. Anyway, so that was Yaakov. So the Ramban says, Ramban says what convinced Yaakov that he had to go to Eretz Mitzrayim was that he was responsible. He was responsible for the return of Bnei Yisrael from the exile. Right? His personal exile became a model. Like the, the way the Ramban says, it doesn't mean that we emulate the Avot. It means that the Avot made a kind of a path, like, a, like in the computer language, you say a path, like the way, the way things zigzag around in the computer. It becomes a way, like you can do it. So just like Yaakov Avinu, just like Yaakov Avinu went into exile in Babel and came back, the Jews went into exile in Babel and came back. Just like Yaakov Avinu went to exile in Mitzrayim, which according to the Ramban equals Romi, or the, the, the Roman exile, and then they came back, right? They came back. So they're gonna come back. Don't worry, they'll all come back. <laughs> Good job, Mr. Charles.